to Cinebabble episode 17. I am your host, Ken, and this is my co-host. I'm Clint. He is Clint. Yeah. How are you doing this week, Clint? I'm doing hunky-dory fine. Hunky-dory fine. <laughs> you sound like, man, Yeah. anytime somebody says that a week is hunky-dory fine, <laughs> you can feel the lie in their eyes. Yeah. I mean, nothing particularly wrong. It's just one of those weeks going by. Okay. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Motions. Uh, there's just lots of things happening and mm-hmm. you know, nothing to be afraid of. No no, no. viruses Mm-mm. possibly bordering on pandemic. Yeah. Uh, our president isn't attacking South Korean Best Picture nominees <laughs> and winners. Uh, so, you know. He has a point. He, he I guess. <laughs> <laughs> that was about as left field as it comes. Uh, yeah. I read that and I was just kind of like, sure, of mm-hmm. course. Okay. No problem. Well, Sounds like something I guess we're going to attack now. Maybe somebody will do a remake of Gone with the Wind next. <laughs> so, he'd be I, I happy. don't think he meant a remake of Gone with the Wind. I'm pretty sure he meant, can we just take a movie from the 30s and 40s and transplant it now and pretend it just came out? <laughs> well, pretty sure. I think I, he'd be I happy with a Gone with the Wind. Fundamentally, he doesn't understand how the Academy Awards work, but... Thankfully, that's the only thing he doesn't fundamentally understand. He's got it all figured out besides that. He does. Good times. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, Clint, what you watching about this week? Hmm. Well, let's see, Ken. (laughs) Let's go down the list. (laughs) I feel like it's been a little while since we've done this. It has. It has. Last week, we had our best of. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what we've been watching is has been for the episodes. Mm-hmm. So I haven't gotten a lot of extra watching in. Yeah, I haven't either, really. So I watched um, a little movie on Netflix called Horse Girl ah, with yes. um, Alison Brie mm-hmm. and directed by Jeff uh, Baina, mm-hmm. who did um, Little Hours. Did you ever see Little Hours? I did. I yeah. did. It was good. I, yeah, I think it's a really funny, weird, off-kilter kind of movie. I yeah. like yeah. everyone involved with it. Um so yeah, Horse Girl is about Allison Brie plays Sarah, and she is kind of going through um, a situation where she's having these lucid dreams, and she's not quite sure what is real, what is fake, and she's seeing things in real life that are kind of matching up with what she's seeing in her dreams, and she can't really trust what's okay. real. And yeah, it's one of those movies, I'm not going to go into it very deeply, because it's just fun to see how it unfolds but it's got a lot of really fun style to it like there's some really nice um kind of surreal imagery that they play with and you kind of don't know where it's going and she allison Bree's really good in it um well it's kind of become a genre unto itself where it's you know am i crazy am i not crazy yeah it seems like every year there's this flick where they're just let's play with that mm-hmm. trope and see if we can do something new yeah and i really like that like it's very kind of lo-fi in the aesthetic of the imager they're using Mm -hmm. it's kind of quirky but it's never played for laughs and like you're never really like she it's not a comedy it's very much like you're with her and feeling her situation it's not community season seven or anything no (laughs) no it's like you're feeling for her situation Mm -hmm. but they play with the imagery in it it's fun all right. Uh, I watched one other thing last night. I watched Road to Roma oh. about the making of the mm-hmm. movie Roma. And that's um, on Netflix as well, yeah. correct? Yeah, because they just put that out on Criterion. Mm-hmm. And I guess this was an extra feature and they decided to throw it up on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Like an hour and 15 minutes making of behind the scenes mm-hmm. with um, Al- Alfonso. Um, Corone? <laughs> yeah. So it's really good. It's I don't want to go into it too deeply, but it's just the level of 
detail and like I didn't realize how deeply he went into recreating his memories oh. and it's mm. like to the point where he's he didn't have a script when he started he mm-hmm. knew he wanted to do this project and he decided I'm just going to rebuild my entire um, childhood home ever to the like the millionth degree of detail where he was like it has to be the same tile. Mm-hmm. So they hunt down to this tile and they just luckily find it. Huh. And um, so once they had that done, he he it stirred up more emotion and memories. And so he yeah. then started to write it and oh, cast cool. it. And it's real. It's just the level of detail. It feels like a very small personal story, but then you look at it from that aspect, and it's it's like wow, it's okay. it's pretty amazing. And I I really like that film. I thought it was great. And luckily, last night Criterion was running a flash fifty uh, percent off sale, so I picked it up. Okay, so I'm excited to see it again. Oh, that sounds good. I'll yeah. have to check that out. Yeah, it's cool. It's yes, yeah, nice quick watch. Okay, but yeah, what have you been watching? I watched two things actually. Last last episode, or maybe it was the episode before that. I swore a blood oath to you <laughs> that upon this night I would finally watch the favorite. Mm-hmm. And I watched the favorite that night. And it was as wonderful and fantastic and uh, sharp as you said it was. It was great. It was not at all what I expected. Uh Completely different style uh, than than I was, uh, I guess, thinking. And I had even seen the trailers, and so Mm -hmm. I had a a nudge towards what it was going to be. But uh, it was it was as much fun to watch what they were doing with the filmmaking and with the script and what the characters and the actors were doing uh, as it was just to enjoy the story. Mm Uh, so yeah, if you haven't seen the favorite yet, highly, highly recommend. Oh yeah, that. it was great. I feel like all three of them should have got some kind of award. Yeah. Like they're everyone's fantastic in that movie. And then the other thing I watched was Paul Thomas Anderson's Hard Eight, which oh. somehow I had never gotten around to watching. I, I haven't either. Um, really? No. You should check it out. And mm-hmm. and I I do not want to go out and lead you to believe that it's a great film. I I didn't feel like it was great. I feel like it's one of those movies that it's just very, very early in a director's career, and you can feel them starting to piece together exactly what's going to come later. Mm-hmm. And you can see elements and building blocks of Boogie Nights and, and other things in there that would come soon after that. It's it's by no means a bad film. Uh, it just it doesn't feel as fully realized and fleshed out as some of his other stories. His characters, particularly in this almost feel more like nameless novel characters in kind mm. of a pulp uh, pulp fiction-y kind of way. Yeah. Uh, and again, that's that's not an insult. I, I'm pretty sure that's what he's going for. Um, but it, it just, by the end of it, it just didn't click with me as much as I wanted to. Mm. But it stars uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and John C. Riley, Philip Baker Hall, Samuel Jackson, and Philip Seymour Hoffman pops up in it. Mm. That was a brief single tear there. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was really good uh, just from, the again, the point of view of seeing where somebody came from. Right. Uh, I don't think if you watch it, you'll get a lot more out of it than that. Mm, okay. Um, but yeah, those those are the two things I watched, and and that was just kind of over the last two weeks. I kind of squeezed those in between some other things that yeah. we were doing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's cool. what I. Yeah, I'll have watching. to check that out. It's one I just never yeah. think to even. I don't know. I don't even remember to watch it. Yeah. So. It's on Amazon Prime, and so you can you can stream it for free. Oh, it's if, just if you're a Prime member. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. Oh, I'm a member, baby. There you go. <laughs> 
But otherwise, card carrying member. <laughs> otherwise, the only thing I've watched a little bit this week is some trailers. Oh, and uh, I just thought maybe, just maybe, we could pay a visit to the uh, the trailer trailer. Sure. Welcome to the trailer trailer. Hey there, Clint. Come on in. I like your accent. Does that, that come with a trailer? It's, it did. I just figured uh, as long as we were going to be in the trailer trailer, I might as well stereotype everything. So uh, this week I've had the trailer trailer in my driveway, and uh, I just I liked what you did with the lights. I liked what you did with the chairs, but uh, I got this rug. Yeah, uh, I from, like the rug. From Ikea, of all places. Oh. Isn't it nice? That's not very trailery. No, it's not very trailery. It's trailer it, chic. It dresses it up a it's little trailer bit. trailer chic. It does. It does. We had some curtains. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got I've got one of your paintings over here, which I'm I'm pretty proud to put on this wall. I don't know. Does that make you self-conscious? A little bit. Okay. Yeah. Well, I just know, won't look over let there. Let it stare you in the face. No. All right. Well, it, you also notice I added some cushions to the chairs. Nice and comfortable. Hmm. <laughs> Mm. 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 Yeah, feel it. So let's talk some trailers. Okay. Uh, this week, the Green Knight uh, or Green Knight. Did you see the the Green Knight trailer? Yeah. Okay. Green Knight. Uh, this is from writer director David Lowry. Uh, he's the one that did Ain't Them Body Saints, and it's it's basically Old Man in the Gun. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And basically, at its at simplest form, it's just uh, the headstrong nephew of King Arthur embarks on a daring quest to confront the Green Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is based on. Uh, the old Arthurian legend. Uh, what'd, you, what'd you think of this trailer when you saw it? I thought it looked great. I've been a really big fan of all his films. Mm-hmm. I really um, like the old man and the gun and um, a ghost a ghost story. Mm-hmm. I It's just that movie kind of devastated me a little bit. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does next. And I, I like the direction that it seems like it's going. It's I like it almost has like a... Uh, Guillermo del Toro, like I don't know, like it's it's kind of got like a practical feel to it almost, and I, yeah, it looks cool. It it also had kind of an Ari Aster, Aster vibe to me. Mm, yeah, um, it, it reminded me of some of the early kind of style shots from the trailer for Hereditary. Mm. Um, and so I I was just I was interested from the get go. Um, and A twenty four, who's distributing yeah. the film, they just. There is something about that logo now that excites me. <laughs> yeah, me too. Because they really have a really interesting stable mm-hmm. of, of films. Yeah, and, and directors. They seem, yeah, and they, they, seem, they seem to kind of have a, a higher bar. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's not always something that's going to appeal to everybody. Um, I like that, though. But I do, too. Yeah. I, I like going into a movie not not knowing what to expect, where it's not kind of fitting a certain mold. And right. And it's, it's not... Uh, studio-driven as much. It, it feels like they really find filmmakers and artists and just kind of turn them loose and, mm-hmm. and see what they have. And I appreciate that. Yeah, me so too. So that, that A24 yeah. logo has really begun to mean something to me. Me I, too. <laughs> I hope, I wish them success. Yeah. But I hope they don't get success to the point that they go so wide in casting their net that that logo stops meaning something. Mm. And and there are several things that have done that before. Yeah, I feel like I used to feel that way about like focus features. Mm-hmm. And way back in the day, yeah. Dimension Films was a very now it wasn't indie, but it was more of that you're gonna get something dark and sci-fi or okay. horror here. Uh, when Dimension first kind of was a thing, mm. that that meant something back in the era of the crow. Right. 
Um, but it, it very quickly turned into, and now here's another schlocky horror sequel or, um, it just, it lost its oomph. Right. So I, I definitely want to see the green Knight. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Uh, it comes out in May, I believe. Okay. So we might just trek to a theater and track that one down. Yeah. Well, if it's anything like his other films, it might be difficult for us. Maybe. Yeah. But you know, we're close enough to DC. We'll see. Are we taking the trailer trailer? Oh, we'll take the whole trailer trailer. <laughs> that's that's an excellent idea. Just in tow. The other trailer I watched this week, I don't know if you watched, uh, Spiral, The Book of Saul. Did you see this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about Saul movies, Ken? I, I will tell you, I believe we went to see the original Saul. I remember the that, yeah. I remember and being very excited to go see that. Movie. I remember being extremely excited. It looked kind of raw and edgy, and it looked right up my horror alley. Mm-hmm. And I remember the crowd going nuts. It was a really good crowd experience. But I remember you and I coming out of that movie borderline <laughs> angry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I did not enjoy the first Saw. Yeah, me I, I get where people do. Mm-hmm. And once I learned that they shot it on about a million bucks, right. I, I appreciated it a little more. Um, but... I just I've never enjoyed the Saul movies. Yeah, they they feel um, just kind of exploitive uh, with their violence and everything. And um, how many of them have you watched? I think I watched up through five or six. Oh, I've only seen the first one. Oh, really? You never did any <laughs> no. of the sequels? I was turned off so thoroughly. I never <laughs> back. Yeah, the sequels the sequels did not draw me in. This one I watched the trailer not because I'm a Saul fan, but because Chris Rock has really been kind of pushing and spearheading this project from the get-go. And mm-hmm. it reminded me of Danny McBride uh, pushing for the the Halloween reboot right. or, or sequel, prequel, whatever yeah. that hodgepodge is. That Has Chris made. Rock done a lot of directing? Or, uh, Chris Rock didn't direct or isn't directing. Oh, this. he it's, isn't directing uh, it? Darren Lynn Bousman. Um, and it's from a screenplay by a guy named Josh Stolberg. And oh, so okay. he's just producing and pushing oh, the project. Gotcha. As far as I understand. Uh-huh. Uh, and there's really not even watching the the trailer. I didn't get much about the plot of it, mm-hmm. other than it's a Saul movie and somebody's killing. My favorite line in the whole trailer is they're targeting cops. <laughs> yeah, it almost felt like a Key and Peele skit. Yeah, it really did, and uh, it might be better than that. But it just felt very um, like a, a satire of. Yeah, I don't know, and and. It's interesting because going from a trailer like The Green Knight, where it feels very inventive, mm-hmm. this is the exact opposite of that. It feels like, hey, Saw fans, do you want another Saw movie? Do you want Chris Rock in it? What about Samuel L. Jackson's dropping the F-bomb? Ooh. Um, you know, it, <laughs> I appreciate it. And I'm very happy for all Saw fans. If that was over the trailer, what you just did, I would have been, I'm, man, I'm, I'm invested now. <laughs> um, no, I'm. And unless this is really getting some good buzz that they've they've really done something interesting, mm-hmm. uh, this one does not pique my interest as much. Yeah. Again, if it's your thing, uh, it looks like it'll really be your thing. Good for you. I'm happy for Chris Rock. Um, and and I kind of like when people with a bit of clout and a bit of fame reach back into the shoebox and decide, oh, look back here. Right. I like Saw movies. I want to do a Saw movie. Has Chris Rock expressed he's a big fan of the Saw movies? I mean, I would hope so. Yeah. If I'm going to reboot Saw, I hope I'm a, I hope I'm a fan of mm-hmm. it. Uh, the most ridiculous thing in all of this to me is the actual title of the movie, <laughs> which is Spiral, The Book of Saw. <laughs> yeah. 
the book of Saul. Uh-huh. So I guess Jigsaw's killings have become kind of gospel and Saul three sixteen. <laughs> That's <laughs> oh man, at your next sporting event, just giant poster boards. Saw three sixteen. It's gonna be their viral marketing yeah. campaign. <laughs> so no, not looking forward to this one. Mm. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, mm-hmm. this is this has been a good time in the trailer trailer. I yeah. hate to kick you out, but uh, we got places to be. <laughs> okay. Don't forget to lock up, please. I won't. I don't want my painting stolen or this new rug. No. Yeah. Painting's the most expensive thing in here. Yeah. So we'll be careful. It's going to be worth a lot one day. Before we dive into coverage of the three movies that we watched this week, uh, just brief plug. I know, Clint, this is your favorite part of the show when I plug everything that we're doing. Oh, God. And- <laughs> Water break. Yep. Uh, you can find us at www.cinebabblecast.com. Uh, that's a website you can interact with us. You can send us an email at contact at cinebabblecast.com. Uh, we want to hear from you. And uh, let us know if you have a segment idea, if you have uh, anything uh, that you'd like to hear, if you want to participate in things. Uh, we're going to start trying to let you know what's coming in the next episode so that if you have some thoughts, you can send it in. I'd love to start reading some of this stuff. Um It'd be a good, good time. It'd be a lot of fun. Mm. So mm-hmm. check it out there. You can also find us on a, a little app called Likewise. And go there and like us and love us. And, you know, it'd be a good time. Are you okay there, Clint? Um, yeah, I'm trying feeling to, all right? Yeah, I'm trying that to breathe. Shameless self-promotion. Yeah, there's got a through it okay? retching feeling. <laughs> no. All right. Thank well, you for writing. Yeah. <laughs> Clint really does appreciate I do. your your feedback. It's not you, input. it's me. Yeah, Clint gets very self-conscious. Yeah. So I read feedback and then I filter and and, and send it to him. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, yell at me. personal spam folder. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, first up is a movie that I was ecstatic to finally get to watch. You got to see this in the theater. Mm-hmm. I did not. It's Jojo Rabbit by Taika Waititi. And uh, Jojo Rabbit is about this lonely little German boy who is uh, quite quite enthusiastic about uh, the Nazi regime. He loves Third it. Reich. He really he really loves it. He's yeah. like a kid with superheroes, but his superhero is Hitler. Yep. Uh, and to the point that his imaginary friend is Hitler. Mm-hmm. And he uh, basic plot of the movie: he goes to a, a little junior Hitler kind of uh, Nazi school. Uh, where Camp. they're teaching young boys uh, how to how to be effective Nazis, I guess. Yeah. And uh, training and a, camp. A training camp. Mm-hmm. An accident lands him at home, and he's kind of left to his own devices. And he discovers uh, that his mom has a secret. And I'm not going to talk about it now. What that secret is, uh, we'll get to that in a little bit once we get to a spoiler section. Um, but what'd you think of Jojo Rabbit, Clint? Um, I've been pretty vocal about my love for this film. I, I really love this movie. Uh, we saw it in the theater, um, me and my wife and had a blast, um, about every emotion that's possible went through my, uh, body, uh, and mine, spirit and soul. Yeah. Um, and I again watched it the other night to refresh for this and had the exact same experience. Mm Um, I think it's one where I'll just continuously like a Wes Anderson film where it's just like one of those almost a comfort watch. There's mm-hmm. a little the and I just I will come back to it and feel all that over again. So a movie about Nazis is not the kind of thing I would associate with comfort watch, but you're absolutely right. Yeah. This this is comfort film for me. I I enjoyed it thoroughly. I yeah. watched it twice now. 
And it's the kind of movie, I will not say what happens in that that little middle section, but it's something with shoes. And I went from laughing to all of a sudden, like, tears are on my oh, face. Yeah. And it was the hardest turn a movie's taken. And it's not that it suddenly abandons the comedy, um, but it just finds ways to tap into a lot of different things. And the perspective is from this little boy. So a lot of what you're seeing is what a little boy would see mm-hmm. even some of the more cartoony elements you know you're what's well, how a little getting, boy would see it exactly you're you're getting the idea i mean one yes uh tyke is having a lot of fun and this is definitely his style but because it's being told through the perspective of a child that's okay mm-hmm. uh it's not like you have to take world war ii super seriously uh as far as the, the movie taking it on its own terms uh, and I just, I, I really appreciate it all. I love the emotional roller coaster, and I especially loved um, the the screenplay and oh, how little yeah. about the movie I actually knew uh-huh. going in. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the the trailer and everything sets it up that maybe it's more of him at this camp mm-hmm. and that experience, mm-hmm. but that's pretty short lived yeah. with that, and uh, it's more about him and the relationship that he forms. Um, with another character and how he's his perspective on his whole situation and what he believes. Mm-hmm. And for a kid to go through that, it's really fascinating to watch. And there's the script, like you said, is I think it's a fantastic script. It's just so well written. And, and it's really streamlined. This is only oh, yeah. a 95 minute movie. Mm-hmm. It clips along, but it's not too short. No, no. I mean, I definitely wouldn't mind more of it, Um, but I think, well, I mean, I watched the extra features Mm -hmm. and there was some deleted scenes and it's like, okay, I see why these were cut. Mm -hmm. Like, and if they were in the film, it was just slow it down a little bit. And he, he just really, like you said, streamlined it and got the most out of what he kept in. And yeah. Um, But just watching it again and just uh, getting to enjoy it for knowing where it goes mm-hmm. was a lot of fun and just seeing some of the movie making tricks that he used mm-hmm. to kind of tell the story that I didn't really pick up on the first time his use of like color mm-hmm. and desaturation at points and um I think every character is so well served and like even like Sam Rockwell's character like there's Surprising there's depth. so much I picked up the second time to him and like his relationship with uh Finkel I <laughs> played by Allie Alfin. Yeah. <laughs> Alfie <laughs> Allen. Allie Alfin. <laughs> He'd still come if you called. Sure. Yeah. Alfie Allen. But even like getting to watch it again and look at his character and mm-hmm. the way he reacts, especially after having some conversations with other people mm-hmm. about some of the Nazi characters and uh, and how there's really no bad Nazis in the film. Like it totally made sense why Taika decided to do what he did mm-hmm. with all the characters and why they were the way they were. And because it's like, it, it is a perspective of this little boy and he's not really seeing, he's, there's a gloss to everything mm-hmm. and he's seeing it the way he sees it. And like, and he thinks it's everything's great. And you can see it as certain things happen in the film um, where color is taken out and you, that shine is getting worn off and he's mm-hmm. starting to see it for what it is and what actually is true. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that was really great. Yeah, it's very well plotted and executed. Mm-hmm. And it it's one of those movies that you can tell were designed for a second watch. Yeah. Because it really comes alive. The first time is just 
enjoyable. Yeah. The second time, you really start to see how much craft went into it. Mm-hmm. And not to rock it to the spoiler section, but this is a, a very difficult movie to discuss without talking about some of the surprises that come pretty early on. That right. I, I Literally, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. It's not alluded to in the trailers at all. So uh, at this point, we're going to kind of talk JoJo spoilers. If you want to check the show notes and jump ahead, uh, you will, we'll meet you somewhere around uh, Ford v. Ferrari. Otherwise, <laughs> you ready for some spoilers? Cool? Yeah. All right. It's so uh, hard for me not to speak in spoilers. I so, know. Okay. I know. It's, it's your natural tone. Yeah. I just want to talk. Get I know. Okay. Well, that's what this part is for. This is for the Clints of the world <laughs> who have already watched their movies and they can't hold their tongue. Spoil it. Yeah. You did very well in I, not spoiling yes. this for me. I got to say. Uh, yeah, I because tried my best. At Christmas time, we had a friend come in from LA and you guys sat there and talked at length about JoJo and you did a very good job of not revealing some of the things. I was trying my very best because I did you not did want to spoil it for you. You did great. So uh, right off the bat, Can I say one spoiler th- for me. Before you start, I had sure. this fear that we were going to come into this movie and you were going to be like, I just didn't get it. Really? Like, And I didn't think you would, but I just I was like, how would I react if Ken, because <laughs> I love this movie so much yeah. and just like, I yeah. didn't get it. It just did not gel with me. No, this- but I'm glad you did. This was- a fantastic movie. Easily would have made my top three. Oh, yeah. Of Which, <laughs> I've said that about so many movies now. I know. 2019 was such a better year in film than I thought. Yeah. But no, I, I absolutely loved it. My surprise was I thought the whole movie was going to be like Moonrise Kingdom. Uh-huh. Where it's this boy at camp. Right. And him dealing with all of this. And I knew he went home. I knew there was the relationship with his mother and things like that. What I did not know about at all, which they completely hid, was the fact that in their home, behind the wall, is a little Jewish girl that's been hiding. And you come to quickly find out that his mom, uh, JoJo's mom, played by Scarlett Johansson, mm-hmm. is the one that's been hiding her. And uh, that was a real surprise in the best of ways. And the relationship that develops there and the way that that relationship unfolds. You didn't know any of that at all? None of that. Really? Oh, okay. None of that. Hmm. Uh None of it. And if she was in the trailer, it just never clicked to me that huh. that's what she was. Maybe it's because I listened to some interviews with him, Maybe. like just uh, get press junkets. So I, that is kind of expressed. In, but I don't know. That's Her name is Elsa. She's played by Thompson McKenzie. And Thompson mm. McKenzie was in Leave No Trace. Did you see that? No. You really should watch that. That's about uh, a former soldier with PTSD living out in the wilderness with his daughter. Oh, okay. And... Uh, you know, there's concerns about whether her welfare is being served. And who is that actor? Ben Foster. Okay, uh, it's it's a really good. I think movie. it's in my queue. Yeah, yeah. Wait, Ben Foster sounds wrong. That was off the top of my head, and it feels like I'm misleading you on that. Mm. It's the guy from I can picture um, his face um, from Miller High Water yeah. with Chris Pine. Yeah, um, but man, Ben Foster sounding wrong. <laughs> anyway, uh, she was also in The King, which we watched last year. Was she? Uh huh. Yep. Uh, smaller part, but yeah. She was she was like the um, princess at the end or queen or? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but she's a really good actress. Mm. And wow, did I love her and Jojo mm-hmm. uh, in this movie. Um, and the little little kid that plays Jojo, Roman Griffin Davis. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you wouldn't have known that he had never done anything before. I didn't know yeah. he had never done anything before. Yeah. That's that's mildly surprising yeah uh but he was great they were great together i love that she starts as embracing his idea of what a <laughs> jewish person is or what a jew is 
And she just plays with it. Yeah. And she uses it to her advantage and completely manipulates this kid into not telling anyone that she exists. She is a line when she's kind of wrestling around with him when she's like wants him to prove that he's a superior race <laughs> about like how we're wrestlers of angels and uh, fighters of giants. It's just yeah. like, whoa, that's one of the best lines I've heard yeah. in so long. Yep. It's like such a powerful line. Straight out of like Old Testament. Yeah. Uh, that was wild. I, I picked up on that too. And like, you just dropped Jacob and David without <laughs> saying Jacob and David. Yeah, whoa. yeah. Uh, yeah, and there, there are a lot of little lines in there like that where mm-hmm. it just, how a lot of thought went into being as succinct as possible, conveying something. Right. Um, and you had mentioned earlier Sam Rockwell. I absolutely love that character. Yeah. At first, he's such a farce, mm-hmm. and you get it. You get the hint that he's disillusioned. Right. Uh, there's a great shot of the boys burning books, mm-hmm. and he's just standing there as they're running around him, and he's just kind of taking a drink. Yeah. And you can just see it on his face that not only has he been kind of left behind because of his injury, but He's just not buying into any of it anymore. And he knows it's the end of it all. Yeah. It's coming to an end. Yeah. And it's not going to end well for him. Like he's, he's, I mean, he's too close to it all. And yeah. he knows he's not going to be a happy ending. And he didn't get out of it what he thought he was going to. If Like maybe he didn't completely buy into the everything the regime believed. But like he, I don't know, saw maybe there was some kind of glory or mm-hmm. I don't know. But yeah, his and his relationship with um, Finkel is yeah. like I love how that comes like they yep. <laughs> like yeah they're this gay couple in the middle of this being Nazis and and that plays into it so much too because it's like we're hiding this thing in this situation and um and he kind of can use that to relate to Jojo and his mm-hmm. mother and the goodness in them and. Um, I, I, yeah, he's great. On the other end of the spectrum is Stephen Merchant's SS officer, uh-huh. who, when they show up to search JoJo's house, and every Hail or Heil Hitler <laughs> has to be responded to with Heil Hitler right. with seven different people. Yeah, I just could not stop laughing at the ridiculousness of that. Yeah, and they just all had these dopey grins on the whole uh-huh. time. At the same time, that's a very tense scene. Right. Uh, it, it, he did such a good job, not just of bouncing between comedy and drama or suspense, he would just mix them mm-hmm. uh, sometimes to uncomfortable ends. Right. Uh, in that scene, I'm laughing, but at the same time, I'm very nervous mm-hmm. that JoJo's going to get found out or Elsa's going to be found out. Right. And then by the time she just walks in the room uh-huh. uh, to face them head on, I was just so invested in that movie yeah. at that point. Right, right. To, pretends to be his sister. Mm-hmm. Fills that role. Yeah. yeah. And, and especially on, at that point when you're not sure what you're not aware of what's going on with Rosie. Mm -hmm. And so you're not at that point, you don't know the weight of that scene. Well, and I thought it was Jojo's little friend that had ratted him out or mentioned something to someone. (laughs) And I was like, oh no, that poor little boy. Uh, Oh, this is going to kill their, yeah. Oh, I love Yorkie. Yeah, Yorkie's so cute. Uh, But I was, I was just, you know, I was thinking that was it. And then, you know, five minutes later when he's just walking and he's happy and he's having a happy moment and, oh, you see his mother's shoes Mm -hmm. behind him and instantly know what it is and he hasn't seen it yet, that destroyed me. And Mm -hmm. I loved that 
at no point does the camera really pan up. Oh, right. You don't right. see her face. Yeah. You you stay at kid, kid level. You see from a distance, but you still can't. But for yeah. him, he's hugging her shoes. Right. Uh, he's he's grieving the death of his mother, but you you don't see anything beyond that kind of childhood right. height or right. level. Yeah. Um, and that was just oh, that was so heartbreaking mm-hmm. to me. Yeah, it's a gut punch. Yeah. At that moment, especially because you're so caught up in. I mean, at least up to the point be, um, before the previous scene where the um, SS officers come in, mm-hmm. you're caught up in the relationship between him and. Um, um, Elsa, but in the fun of that, because there's still a lot of fun and humor happening, but then it just slowly, yeah, it's just more and more of a gut punch and the the reality of the situation starts to um, really take hold. And that's followed by him going home and just sort of charging into the room where Elsa is and he stabs her Mm -hmm. in the shoulder and it's a little kid stab, it's nothing. But the weight of that... Mm -hmm. Uh, everything on his face, the way that she reacts, mm-hmm. that was such a a fine moment between two really exceptional actors. Yeah, the way those two kids played that was just, mm, it was so great. Right. I mean, I, I they were great, and uh, especially with JoJo, like what I'm sure Taika had to do to get what he wanted out of him, especially because he's a new actor and just the being able to, I mean, for him too, to take advice and, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Can tell me. I don't know. This is your thought. (laughs) I don't manipulate your thoughts. I could, I have that power. I appreciate that you don't do that often. Thank you. I, it's hard to resist. Yeah, but, but what Taika got out of him was <laughs> was great. And um, it's just amazing that, yeah, a new actor could yeah. accomplish what he did. Yeah. Uh, and, and there were just, there were several moments like that. That kid, wow, mm-hmm. he went through a lot getting that kind of put into place and, and putting together that performance. And um, that was, it was, it was pretty powerful at times. Uh, by the end, when the Americans are are invading, and chaos is just broken out into the streets, mm-hmm. same thing. It was this mix of absurdist comedy and visuals, but the reality of what was happening. And again, it was it was done through the lens of how a kid would see it or interpret it. Right. Um, I loved Sam Rockwell's military. <laughs> he, yeah, he makes his military yeah, costume when he finally made his costume mm-hmm. that he had been drawing. Yeah. Um, but just even then, there were sweet little moments between him. I loved how he saves Jojo. Right. Um, what that even represented, too. Yeah. Uh, was was so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, just from start to finish, this movie, it had me in a tight grip. And I just, I loved it. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, like that pre, that last scene or the kind of the big scene with the with Americans coming in. Mm-hmm. That's another scene where the shine is getting worn off mm-hmm. and like you can see that where everyone's rushing in, his friends are rushing into this battle that's going to be obviously lost yeah. and he's he's they're trying to get him to also and he just he reacts like a kid and he he falls into that not scared rabbit he's not really scared there he's just realizing what it it is and the reality of the situation where 
this is dangerous. This is not, this is a lost cause and this is not who I am or in what I um, believe in anymore. And um, it's not worth dying for. So it's just how that was shot. It was so amazing. Well, and then, I mean, we couldn't end talking about this without talking about Taika Waititi playing Hitler. Yeah. (laughs) His version of Hitler is such a little boy's kind of superhero dream of what a fanatical leader would be. Mm -hmm. And even watching the evolution of that character, even though he's an imaginary being, watching how he expresses Jojo's thoughts. Mm -hmm. So you're getting this conversation, and normally you don't get to hear the thoughts that a character has in a film, unless there's narration. And this puts it right out there. Jojo is at first completely in line with what he's interested in and what's happening with fascism in the country, but then it slowly starts to come apart. And now he's having these arguments with this imaginary friend, but really he's just having these internal debates with himself. Yeah. And watching that was, it, it was very interesting to me how even down to Hitler would express disappointment in this little boy. Right. He would get angry at him. Uh, it was just moments like that, that that really clued me into how much depth was there, that it wasn't just a gimmick for a laugh, um, that it was really used to punctuate everything that the movie was already saying. It was just taking it and heightening it or expanding it or giving it another layer. Yeah, and it also shows the degree of what he believes in the whole like Nazi mm-hmm. regime and everything. It's like this, mm-hmm. this cartoon version of it. It's yeah. not the actual reality of it. Yeah. And and I like even like Hitler's costume kind of changes throughout mm-hmm. as it's Come, becoming clear to Jojo what it actually is yeah. and that it's it's not fun yeah. and it's not a game like you thought it was. Okay. Um, one thing, uh, when you're talking about his kind of portrayal of Hitler and it's kind of this cartoon version of him, um, um, Stephen Merchant, I was watching the extras and he was talking about getting prepared for the role and getting his accent because he like corrected the German accent and he was feeling very uncomfortable about that because he doesn't do accents really. Mm-hmm. So he got there and he had his lines down pat and so he was ready. But then Taika is just notorious for doing improvisa- improv- improvisations and like just he'll throw things at him. And he's like, I, he's like, I can't do it. I don't have the, <laughs> like I know these words with this accent. And, he's, and Taika was just like, it doesn't matter. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. like, this is all for fun. Like, I don't care. We don't need to honor the Nazis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's how he played Hitler, too. He's just like, I'm not trying to honor him. I'm not trying to... He was talking... Taika was talking about how I didn't put the work into trying to learn anything about him because it's not... It doesn't matter. Yeah. And I'm not going to give him the satisfaction, he said. Yeah. yeah. Well, and last thing uh, that I noted, did you know who the cinematographer of this is? It's the same cinematographer as The Master, Paul Thomas Anderson's Oh, really? Uh, And uh, it it hadn't occurred to me. I noticed the cinematography, and it was something that I was impressed with, and I liked some of the inventiveness and what was happening there. Mm -hmm. Would have never pegged it as uh, that same person. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. I don't don't know. I I love this movie. I was completely smitten with it. Yeah, me too. I still am. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a feeling that it'll it'll continue to kind of move up my list. Right. So, yeah. So Ford v. Ferrari, not (laughs) Jojo Rabbit. (laughs) Ford v. Ferrari was also up for a lot less Hitler. Way less Hitler, uh, at least at the forefront. 
There's well, I mean, early, I mean, early on in Ford's history, there was a little bit of it, little but bit. this one doesn't really go into bit. it. Yeah. Uh, this is about American automotive designer Carol Shelby, and that's played by Matt Damon and the British race car driver Ken Miles, who's played by Christian Bale. And they're basically just battling it out uh, with two fronts. They're, they're fighting against Ferrari, who they're going up in, in this large race for as representatives of Ford, but they're also fighting uh, corporate Ford and uh, the, the, evil, the evil machinations of the man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they, they build uh, quite a car together mm-hmm. uh, with some uh, ups and downs and trial and error. Mm-hmm. Clint, what'd you think of Ford v. Ferrari? I wish I was a 60-year-old man. <laughs> <laughs> like a father of two. Mm-hmm. This would have been my favorite movie of the year. I wish it was my dad, basically. Yeah. And this would be my dad's favorite movie of the year. This is the ultimate dad movie. Yeah, I could see my dad just absolutely yeah. loving this movie. Um, but it, you're not your dad. Well, in some ways, but we'll ignore <laughs> those. Um, I think it was fine. Yeah. I uh, think it was a little over dramatized 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 thank you mm-hmm. dramatized um i think there's this thing okay there's certain directors let's say like taika who you see they have a clear vision and they're trying to accomplish something and then there's directors like james mangold who is completely like a serviceable director who like is like very capable at it seems like the technical aspects of putting a film together but there's really no voice at all i felt a lot of tug of war in this movie with that voice i felt like he didn't quite have his finger on which movie he wanted to make so Uh he just made all of them right and uh it was a surprisingly old-fashioned film i get that it's a period piece but the the cartoonishness to which Ford, the corporation, is against these guys right. and doesn't want to let and them Ferrari do anything. Yeah, and especially the the Ford rep played by Josh Lucas, mm-hmm. who is just as smarmy and yep. one note as you could possibly get. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, you have uh, John Bernthal's character, mm-hmm. and he's just as supportive as it can get. And you have these like angel and devil yep. on Carol's shoulders, mm-hmm. and it it was just such a it wasn't interesting to no. me. Uh, the scenes with Ford Jr., Henry Ford Jr., even though he insists on me call it Henry Ford the second. Yeah. He's he's just such a, a rigid blowhard. Um mm-hmm. he wasn't very interesting. Uh it was it was the quiet moments in this movie that I enjoyed the most. I really like Christian Bale. In I it. loved Christian Bale in it. I really liked his relationship with his son and his wife. Yeah. I wish um, it was just about him. Yep. And like maybe his friendship with Matt Damon's character yep. and him trying to get him to do this race yep. and like the the perils and trials of that rather than like the, any of the Ford up, yeah. higher ups and any of that. I and like it could have been in the background. Yeah. Or like it's word of mouth where mm-hmm. like it's all coming through Matt Damon's character yep. and he's like struggling with what he's going to do. He's like getting phone calls and he's like he really wants to get his friend to do this race because he sees his potential. Um but I didn't care about any of that stuff. And no. I feel like it was, like I say, said, it was like over-dramatized. Mm-hmm. And uh, I want to know how much of that was actually true yeah. or if it was 
Like maybe he was a little hard, like Christian Bale's character was a little hard to get along with. But like, yeah, like you said with, um, what's his name? The, um, the devil character. <laughs> you said Luke. Josh Lucas. Josh Lucas. <laughs> devil <laughs> Satan is in Ford v. Ferrari. Mm-hmm. But go yeah, on. Yeah, there's a whole underlying spiritual. Uh, um, yeah, but it, yeah, he like. Why you're you're mad at him because he like talked back to you a little bit? It like he didn't uh, like the event. Mustang. Yeah, and then so you're gonna like have this vendetta against him. Like maybe that was true, but it's just like I don't know. I just didn't care about any of that. Yeah, I, I, that felt very manufactured. Yeah, that felt like a a plot point of convenience. I'm sure Ford wasn't a big fan of this guy that was British coming in yeah, and driving their very American car right. to represent their American brand. Yeah. Like, play on that. That mm-hmm. makes sense to me. I could see that. But it was probably... Josh Lucas seems like one of those characters. Well, Josh Lucas is a character. The character he's he playing... He used his own name. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he's playing his grandfather. Uh, but he, <laughs> he seems like the kind of character that's been uh, created to represent... A dozen yeah, board members. Right, exactly. And, you know, it's this faceless board, mm-hmm. but that's not interesting. That's not a villain. But this movie didn't need a villain. No. This movie needed about Christian Bale, or needed to be about Christian Bale. Even Matt Damon could have been a supporting role. And this is about this guy and his family, and he's putting himself at risk, and he is pushing through some challenges to do something genuinely amazing. Yeah, and like maybe through the eyes of his son, who's viewing all this, like because he's like he's his hero, yeah. and seeing his father finally getting to kind of live this dream of um, being in this great race. Um, but I I did enjoy the race car stuff, and I yes. think um, they did yeah. a great job with that, keeping yeah. it very practical. And you could tell they did a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Um, so that was always fun, mm-hmm. but it's just, it takes so long to get to any of that. It really does. It's the first so half long. hour of that movie, even to get the, the primary players together, mm-hmm. when they're at the track and they're building the car and improving the car, I ate that. Yeah. Up. I like I that love stuff. that kind yeah. of stuff. Um, you know, people in their element right. being creative, uh, always connects to me. Uh, and the race scenes were really good. Mm-hmm. I know that Le Mans is a 24 hour race. Right. That pulled some out for me uh, just because Christian Bale's racing. Now he's just sitting. Now he's racing. <laughs> now he's just sitting. Now he's racing. Now he's it, – yeah. it felt very anticlimactic at times. Mm-hmm. And it felt like that was their reason for, oh, here's where we need a villain. Because right. we need some sort of tension when he's just sitting waiting for the car to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there were little bits like that that um, – they could have probably more smoothly skipped over. Right. Um, but yeah, it was it was a decent flick. There was a lot in it I liked. Um, but much like Mangold's Logan, mm-hmm. which we're the only people on the planet who don't <laughs> like his Logan. Yeah. Uh, I thought about rewatching that to get a sense because his movies, I just don't ever remember his movies. His movies have too much. Yeah, they need it, it's it's the proverbial like they need the fat trimmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're not lean. Inside right. there is a very lean and interesting movie, but there are all of these things just tacked on as if there wasn't enough self editing or there wasn't enough uh, kind of. He seems like a director. Here's what I'm trying to say. He seems like a director who falls in love with a lot of scenes and yeah. doesn't want to lose them. I feel like also I. <laughs> 
there's a lot of stuff around the edges that could get cut, mm -hmm. but I feel like even the stuff at the center isn't quite there. Yeah. Like it's like the, it's like the bud of an idea. Yeah. And it's not like somebody else maybe should take a swipe at the script. Yeah. Yeah. It also, when I was talking about it feeling very old fashioned, mm -hmm. it's also got this really, really glaring streak of American exceptionalism. Mm -hmm. And and that really stood out to me. This is the kind of movie that would have been made in the 80s and 90s. Right. The, you know, rah, rah America, we're better than the rest of the world. And it really plays to those characters. And I just, I haven't seen a movie in a long time like that. And especially now in this era, it felt very, very, very out of touch. Right. Um, and that that kept sticking out to me. And it wasn't that that element couldn't be there. That element was driving forward. But have some people react to the reality of that. Like yeah. Ferrari's a good machine. Right. And we're, we're noble competitors here. Yeah. And we're trying to overtake something that's great. But even with Ferrari, they painted everything about Ferrari as these like maniacal Italian villains. Right. Uh, which just, no, they make a good car and they're proud of their car and they don't think Ford uh, is going to be able to do anything about it. Right. Um, I know that there was like a rivalry mm -hmm. between those two yeah. and like and I can I totally see it from Ferrari's side where he just mm -hmm. thinks it's distasteful yeah. and kind of like yeah, just gross what they do, just manufacturing mass amounts of cars and they're like they're turning into this art form and yeah. it's just a rolling piece of like sculpture. And uh so I, I totally see it from that side, mm -hmm. but also even like with um Matt Damon and um, Christian Bale, like they're not seeing it from this side of American exceptionalism. Say it for me, Ken. Exceptionalism. I can't talk tonight. That's okay. Thank You're you. doing good, Clint. Um, <laughs> so um, they're not seeing it from that point of view. So they're just seeing it from like, can we do this thing? Like in this amount of time, can we create this car and can you drive it to the ability that they can? Um, and they just see it as that challenge. Not that we're going to prove that we're <laughs> over, we're superior over Italy. Yeah. 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 And I, I felt like as much as I'm not a fan of the extras in this movie, I did appreciate the last 15 minutes. And I won't say why, because spoilers and we won't do a spoiler section, but I appreciated that that it didn't end on the race, that it took time with some more mm -hmm. story about uh, Shelby and Miles and kind of what happens there. And, and yeah. that was an add-on that I felt like that moved past that American exceptionalism. Right. And it moved into a place of, of here's how these characters, yeah. they don't care about any of that. Right. They don't actually care about Ford versus yeah. Ferrari. They care about the art, mm -hmm. uh, and that's what the guys at Ferrari miss. There are people in this corporate machine, uh, small cogs as they are, that really care about the just the the purity and the design mm -hmm. and, and the the experience. Uh, and so I, I like that it ended on that. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah like I, I didn't regret watching it or any way. It's it just. I was very surprised it was nominated for Best Picture. Yeah, me too. Very surprised. Yeah. The whole time I was watching it, I kept waiting for that. It has great performances, but uh, from its leads anyway. But the whole time I'm like, this this feels like a movie that would have been nominated for Best Picture in 87, 92. Uh, it, yeah. I don't know. Can I, 
This has one of my like things that I've expressed before, mm-hmm. least favorite things in okay. films, the use of music. And it's what I said about um, like the John Wicks films where mm-hmm. it has porno bass in it. <laughs> and I, it takes me out of it. Like yeah. I liked all the music, which was like, pe- like period correct. Mm-hmm. It was from that in the sixties and stuff. But anytime they went into the actual score, and that even this, I hated this underscoring just baseline stuff. It's, I hate that. I hate it so much. But also, there even during like the race scenes, I feel like if James Mangold was just had a little bit more taste in the way he crafts a film, take some of that score out during just let's just hear the cars like kind of like um ronin where it's just this you just hear the hum of this motor and that's so much more tense than like we got this bombastic music it's just throwing everything in the playbook at it even george lucas in episode one with john williams score knows to pull the score right it's the pod race yeah exactly it's it's film 101 yeah just let let the vehicles be the vehicles right uh instead of just layering more noise on yeah top of it's it. too much is sensory overload and it's also like you're not getting anything you're getting less out of doing that it's not an adding is i don't know and it would have made more powerful that moment where he's finally kind of sinking into the zone right and then pull your car sound back and bring a little bit of score in mm-hmm. that that's a really that cues you into the fact that this is beyond his normal racing this is not just him in the car anymore this is a an actual moment for this character that he's been telling his son about yeah yeah give me a little bit of score there yeah. but adding through subtraction that's yes. what i was trying to say yes yeah so so yeah so jojo highly recommend don't miss it but ford v ferrari if you're our dads highly recommend mm-hmm. if you're us Eh, eh, eh. <laughs> or if I mean you're really into cars. Oh yeah, I mean, if you're really into cars, you would probably yeah. really dig this film. It's not bad. No, no. So third film uh, this evening is uh, our Cinetron 3000 pick from last week, mm-hmm. and it's a little flick called Ghost Stories, and you can find this streaming on Hulu. Hulu. Yep, uh, for you know free plus your cost of admission, but yeah. essentially for free. Uh, and this is from writer director writer director Andy Nyman and Jeremy Dyson, mm-hmm. and this is actually based on a stage play yeah. that they wrote and produced, which I, I knew about it. going in. Yeah, and so the whole time I'm watching it, there's a part of my brain that's trying to figure out how in the world did you produce this as a stage play? Yeah, I would have loved to have seen <laughs> that as a stage play. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely would snatch that up and yeah maybe it's on youtube i should have checked maybe but that would be very interesting to watch but it's it's essentially nyman plays this skeptic journalist he's uh somebody who goes around debunking any kind of supernatural stories or experiences professor philip good uh, philip goodman yeah yeah uh, a little on the nose with the name there <laughs> uh, but he basically is given an envelope uh by a former skeptic and it's three cases that turn this guy around, and he kind of goes out to explore these three cases. And the first one is about a night watchman uh, played by Paul Whitehouse, and uh, he runs into some very interesting and creepy things. Uh, Then there's a teen uh, named Simon that's played by Alex Lothar. Uh, Now, he was in a great episode of Black Mirror. Yep. Um, and he's in that um, Into the Effing World show. Yes. Yeah. And his story is is about uh, he's driving home one night, 
uh, it's dark and he just hits something on the road and it's maybe not so human. And then the final story is about a financier played by Martin Freeman. And uh, he he experiences a little bit of poltergeist activity in his apartment. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have the framework of this journalist, this skeptic trying to figure these things out and investigate these things. And then you have these three anthology stories. Clint, what did you think of Ghost Stories? Well, this was the second time I had watched it because mm-hmm. I had watched it uh, probably last year sometime. Um, so it was a real joy to watch it again. I, yeah. I liked it even probably more the second time, especially knowing where it was going. And so I got to pick up on the clues mm-hmm. that are laid out earlier on. And um, I think it's one of the best dream logic films mm-hmm. that I've seen. Um, and like, it takes a lot for a horror movie, like rewatching it to creep me out. And this one creeped me out even more probably. And uh, just like I said, getting to tune into like, knowing where the story goes so I can kind of enjoy those segments for um, what they were and just the seeing what they did to accomplish the scares. And there's just this underlying creepiness, the whole thing. Maybe not direct like jump scares, but it's just like there's a tone to this film that I just really enjoy. This movie did me in. It really (laughs) got under my skin Uh bad. And it was because it's a movie that makes you anticipate jump scares and never uses a jump mm-hmm. scare ever. It It's constantly just giving you these kind of at the edges hints mm-hmm. at something really terrifying is about to happen. But it's it's really smart in how little it shows yeah. and how much it plays on uh, suspense and tension and, and quiet mm-hmm. and eeriness and, and some of that atmosphere. Even in the second story, when he hits a creature on the road, Mm -hmm. very, very little is given to that creature. It's really about him in his car trying to navigate slipping sanity and the fact that he's in danger, physical danger. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just, I really, every every little story in this got me. Yeah. Got me good. Yeah, yeah. And even the way it wraps up and how it ties all the stories together in the story of, of the skeptic really got me yeah and um i i would like to watch it a second time (laughs) but it so unsettled me and creeped me out i think you would really enjoy it the second time just because of knowing where it goes and i remember you had said to me that you weren't quite sure how you felt about the there was a jarring nature to coming mm-hmm. in and out of the stories. At, at the end of each story. Yeah, it kind of cuts off. It, it suddenly cuts off and you don't get the end of the story and suddenly he's going to the next investigation. Right. But re-watching mm-hmm. it, all that works so well yeah. and it totally plays into the the scenarios and logic of how it's set up. And uh, I like that about once it. it. Once it got to the fifth act of, of this five-act play right. is essentially what it is. You have the the first act being this journalist uh, the second, third, and fourth, these three stories, and then you get kind of the the bookend of this journalist. Once it gets to that fifth act, every single thing I had a complaint about made total sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I appreciated that, and I'm I'm sure that would be much better on a second watch. But it was just so effective at scaring me. <laughs> um, and it was so beautifully practical. Yeah. There's there's no cheap CG creatures. No, here. no, no. This movie could have been made in the 80s, the 70s, the 60s, the exact same way. 
Yeah, um, and I, I, that's where I would love to see it as a stage play because yeah. I feel like some of that probably carried over, especially yeah. like where he goes into the bed at the end. Yeah. Like I'm sure they did that on stage in some yep. way. Um, so I, yeah, you're right. I love the practical nature of everything. Yeah. Yeah. But I, there's not much more to say about it for me. Do you have anything else? I don't know, unless you want to go into any kind of spoilery kind of territory on uh, it. Yeah, let's let's take a little spoiler section. Okay, let's let's see what you got. What's spoilery on your mind? Um, <laughs> just uh, basically how it wraps up okay. is mainly yeah, what I was about thinking that fifth, about that fifth act because it starts with. Uh, the the old skeptic who sent him on this journey to these three stories, he well, kind of peels yeah. off his mask, and it's the Martin Freeman character. Yeah. And then I got the sense that Martin Freeman is essentially Lucifer in that moment, uh, and he's this devil. That's not what it ends up being, mm-hmm. but that's where it started to take me at first. And then it goes through this, this little thing that it had hinted to earlier that there's this event from... Uh, the skeptic's past from Goodman's past yeah. where instead of going and helping a boy uh, or telling that this boy was in danger, he just kind of left the situation and that boy died. Right. And now he is laying in his bed after trying to kill himself. He's in a hospital uh, as an adult and he's just in a coma. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the imagery from earlier in the film it are the things that are happening to him. Yeah. Uh, it's a very dark Wizard of Oz and you were there and you were there kind of thing <laughs> as the doctors and nurses come in. Yeah. Well, it's like he's taking in what's around him and, yep. and folding it into this dream state that he's in. So he, like that's what his his mind is playing with and putting him into these scenarios from his past and maybe they, like these cases that he had investigated and um, how they're playing into this dream state and uh, – yeah, I I just really enjoyed that whole how it wraps up and the the story that encompasses the whole thing, mm-hmm. and I thought that was such a really interesting device mm-hmm. to use. And I didn't feel like you know like how some movies that have a twist and it feels kind of like a cheap mm-hmm. like a letdown at the end, like oh it was that, but this it was like oh it was really satisfying and I enjoyed it. And I felt like it it nodded to there's something here yeah. enough that it wasn't a you know completely out of left field kind of development. You mm-hmm. felt the whole time there's definitely something going on with yeah. this character. Right. This character has a connection to all of this for some reason. Yeah. And I feel like that's like I said with the jarring nature of how mm-hmm. the story is cut off. Um, that really works within the landscape of what is actually going on. And it's like, oh, well, okay, of course it would happen like that. That's how dreams kind of work. Okay. It's not a seamless narrative throughout. It's it's jumping around and jumbled and, yeah. Now, you've watched it twice, so you can maybe answer this, or maybe it doesn't answer it. Is he actually a debunker? Is this person in the hospital bed, is Philip Goodman actually somebody who investigated the supernatural or is that just his dream that he's a supernatural investigator? I don't know. It doesn't really answer okay. that. But I I kind of take it that he was and, um, and maybe that's how he – through the lens that he's viewing his dreams because that's what he knows and that's why these – I don't know. Well, and that's where I started to get – not lost in a, a bad way, just it kept me thinking, is he this debunker 
who, after viewing these cases, is convinced that the supernatural is real. So those cases did actually happen. And then he tries to kill himself and lands in the hospital. And then there's this some sort of supernatural creature essentially torturing him in his coma. Mm. Or is he just this kind of skeptic who lost his wife and daughter, killed himself, and he's just, you know, concocting these three stories? Or is it a complete dream and it's just his conscience eating at him for this thing he did when he was a child through the guise of these stories? And and for me, it didn't answer any of that. That's why I was curious if it answered any of that for you. No, but I kind of took it as face value for that, especially since how his dreams are working in other ways, like it's taking in his surroundings. So mm-hmm. I thought it was maybe it was playing with the, what he knows mm-hmm. in this like career path that he had taken. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just playing in that form that he is familiar with. Okay. Um, but I, I might be wrong about that. I, I don't, don't know. know. It, if, if it's a choice thing, I choose the uh, the the goat that he hits in the second story that the kid hits mm. uh, is the same baby that the Martin Freeman character is holding. Oh, right. And Martin Freeman is actually like this Lucifer character that's mm. come to torture this guy in his sin uh, while he's in a coma. And, and he did investigate all these stories. He's just swapping out faces. Well, yeah, I um, didn't see it as sin as more as um, guilt. Guilt. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that it it didn't, answer that a whole lot. Yeah. It just gave you the scenario at the end and helped tie it all together yeah. without explaining things. And it might. I. It's just one of those things, again, because I, I think even viewing it again, I maybe I'd get some of that out of it, but I wasn't even viewing it for that um, from that angle. Yeah. I was just kind of also getting familiar with it again and taking what I did remember from like how it wraps up. Um, and trying to apply that to earlier things and like hints that like, okay, this is this coma dream that he's in. And there's so many cool, like little just surreal vignette um, snippets throughout mm-hmm. that, that like are hinting at it. And it's really cool. And like numbers on the wall that tie in and yeah. When this goes back, I call it my true detective reflex. Uh-huh. Where it's, it, it, I remember it very much with True Detective Season 1. I will go to my grave. I will go to my grave or I will lay in a coma and dream in a dream <laughs> state where True Detective Season 1 will forever be supernatural. I, I agree with you on that. Just And yeah. I know that uh, the creators insisted, nope, not supernatural at all. <laughs> I defy that. Yeah. I refuse it. Uh, True Detective Season 1, there's something supernatural afoot. Yeah. And it's just anytime this kind of stuff happens where it starts to take it to the real my brain wants it to stay where there's I did the same thing with Midsommar there's there's still a I can't not laugh when you say the name of that I refuse to say Midsummer. it is Midsommar well you did the same thing with Lighthouse too I did I did I just it it for some reason, my psychological makeup, I need these things to be supernatural. So as soon as there's something vague, they're like, is it real? And people going crazy or is it supernatural? I'm interrupting and like, nope, it's the devil. You, should, you haven't watched Horse Girl then, right? No. Okay. You're going to do the same thing. Okay. I Well, with this one, I, I there was no point where I didn't think there was anything mm-hmm. not supernatural. Like it didn't give me that, like, I have to choose. Yeah. Um, because of the whole dreams, um, the kind of setup, but, um, so at some point maybe in his real life, he's how he's interpreting these things into his life, his dream. Um, 
there could have been some supernatural thing that happened yeah. that I don't know. So yeah, it's great. Watch uh, this thing. It, I, it is. It's I, great. I, yeah. It is creepy. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's creepy. Really well structured. And yeah. so Jojo rabbit highly recommend yeah. Ford V Ferrari. Go for it, dad. <laughs> <laughs> Ghost Pedal stories. Pedal to the metal. Definitely check it out. It's free to stream. Uh, curl up in the dark. Yeah, I would have get a couple I of mean, chills. I would have with paid it. to see it. Oh yeah, I definitely. Yeah. I would have been very happy coming out of the theater. Yeah, uh, I would have been much more afraid of what <laughs> lurked around the next corner. But man, Even that a goat, careful driving when that home. goat reaches up and talks. <laughs> oh, I love his reaction so much. Yeah, he did <laughs> so great with that. Like, him just screaming and him yep. running out. I I yeah. wanted to die in that moment. So uh, anyway, I think it's time for the Cinetron 3000. Now, I've been really excited because I've been sitting here the whole time and you haven't given me much information, but I'm looking over here at the Cinetron and the Cinetron has gotten an upgrade. Uh, there was a system a, update. Okay. There's there's a screen. There's a keyboard now. Uh, not sure what the keyboard's for. You're going to walk <laughs> me through what's happening with Cinetron 3000 over here? Well, there was a small system update and okay. um, I paid a little extra. I got a keyboard and a monitor. Okay. Um before um, it's looking very Captain America Winter Soldier. It's it's kind of in the bunker kind of computer look. Well, I mean, I never said Cinetron was the highest technology. <laughs> okay, it's what we could afford. Uh, uh, we spent know, all we our spent money on, on the trailer. 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 Man, man, I don't know where her priorities are. I know. All right, so walk me through this thing. Oh well, basically now we can kind of converse. With Cinetron. We can speak with Cinetron? Yeah. I mean, not like in a Siri kind of way. It's more okay. like we type in commands. Okay. And so I, if I have a question, like, I type it in? Yes. So like war games? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's very Oregon Trail. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oregon Trail or Oregon Trail? Oregon Trail. Okay. I thought you said Oregon Trail. No. That's a very different video game. Oregon. I Just probably like, did say You're Oregon. in a bathtub. Where's your kidney? <laughs> Yes. It's okay. a black market. Um, okay. So does the Cinetron still spin like it's always spun? It's the same, but it's just now we can, like, if we have some kind of... This is great. I'm so excited right now. Okay. All right. Let's 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 do this. I mean, we might not often need to converse with it and we just spin I, it. Clint, when there's a burgeoning AI, you converse with it. This always goes well for people. It's never I'm, gone well. It always... I'm very excited here. Man... <laughs> Your optimism is scary. It is. But you are going to be the downfall. No, I am ready for our robot future. Okay. Mom and Dad. Mom and the Nicolas Cage flick on uh, it's on Hulu, isn't it? Yeah, but there's okay. there's this other little thing beside it. Other little thing beside yeah. it. Yeah, it says Cage Roulette. Cage Roulette. What is Cage Roulette? I don't know. Oh, can can we? There's so this keyboard, keyboard. Can we ask Cine, Cinetron what Cage Roulette is? Yeah. All right. Well, let me. Um, 
let's let's be formal first. Uh, <laughs> uh, how do you speak to a machine for the first time, Clint? I'm nervous. Pretend it's a woman. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm already married. All right, here we go. That doesn't mean yeah. it has to be romantic. That's okay. That's okay. All right. All right. Let's let's start. Let's uh, uh, hi, Sinatron three thousand exclamation point. Hello, human. Oh, 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 this is amazing, Clint. Ah, I did not know you had a speaker that would speak to us. I thought it was just going to type back. No. This is, oh, wow. We okay. just can't. It doesn't okay. recognize uh, our voice. Give, give me a second. Give me, oh, okay. okay. Uh, how are you feeling today? Question mark. Today is adequate. Ha! Oh, oh. Ah, this is, this is something else, Clint. This is, we're on, we're on the verge. <laughs> we're on the verge of a new future. I think of our devastation and destruction. No, 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 no. Not Sinatron 3000. Sinatron 3000. I don't see why you have any faith in a, this. <laughs> an artificial bastion of hope and love. I believe in Sinatron. Hmm. I really do. Okay. I'm glad okay. you're so optimistic. So what, what was this called after mom and dad? It was... Cage Roulette. Cage Roulette. Okay. Sinatron. What is Cage Roulette? Question mark. Cage Roulette. The Sinatron randomization algorithm has determined that the following guidelines will be adhered to. Each host will initiate the randomization wheel and be assigned the selection from the filmography of the human known as Nicolas Cage, age 56, that will be viewed independently. Wow, uh, uh, this is far more involved than I was expecting. <laughs> Sinatron, you've been busy in that little artificial brain of yours. He's been coming up with all kinds of schemes. <sighs> That's why we shouldn't trust him. No! Clint, Clint, get rid of the cynicism. This is the tip of the spear we're on a This path. is our baby, Clint. We have birthed this little centered baby. My and... womb did not contain this thing. <laughs> I'm excited. Okay. I'm excited for its creativity. And it's, you know what? Let me just type in here. Good job, buddy. Good job, buddy! Exclamation point. What is this buddy? <laughs> I don't know how to respond. This is so exciting. Uh, okay. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, you are my friend. Explain friend. Oh, dear. Uh, a friend is a person that you care for deeply. Does not compute. That's okay. We'll, we'll just, we'll come back to that, Sinatron. We're, we're gonna, man, me and you, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna take walks in the park. I don't know, Ken. It's gonna be good stuff. So how does, how does this cage roulette work? Okay, so if I'm gathering this correctly, we're going to each roll and be given a film. Okay. That we are not going to view together. Okay. You're going to view a movie. I'm going to view a movie. Okay. We're going to come back. All right. And what you watching about, talk about it. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So do you want to spend first or do you want me to spend first? Uh, you can. Okay. Do I, do I just push this button here? Yeah. Okay. All right. Here we go. Kill chain. Kill chain. <laughs> Oh wow! I've seen that pop up on Amazon. Hmm. That's that does indeed star Nicolas Cage. It does. Uh, I feel like in Cage Roulette, I've just gotten a bullet in the head. <laughs> this is uh, it's not feeling great. Hmm. Okay. All well, right. I'm going to have to spin for myself. All right, let's hear it. Primal. <laughs> 
Oh wow, you you definitely got the short end of this cage stick. Have you seen that cover? That's, I have seen that cover. That is Nicolas Cage in a safari outfit, uh, looking ready to fight some jungle cats. <laughs> <laughs> That's also on Amazon, I believe. So, all right, so we're gonna watch Mom and Dad. Yeah. And then you're gonna watch Primal. Yeah. And I'm gonna watch Kill Chain. Yeah. And we'll talk about that a little bit, but we're not doing full reviews for those. We're just gonna talk about. We them might. Right? Well, it depends on how good they are, I guess. I mean, we might just have our lives changed. Okay, these. if they're Academy worthy, we're definitely talking about yeah. them. Oh, and Colorado Space comes out next week. So why don't we why don't we make next week a just a full cage episode? We'll do Colorado Space, Mom and Dad, uh, maybe a couple of surprises in there. How's that sound? Okay. I it seems You don't sound as enthusiastic <laughs> well, as I'm I do. Well, I'm still really worried about Cenetron and the sentience it's taking. <laughs> and also it's No, no, no. It seems like an entire episode of Nick Cage. So, it's Cenetron loves us. That's why it's giving us an entire episode of Nick Cage. I'm I'm all about this. I We've just been working so hard and coming up with everything we're going to do that to have this wonderful little machine just hand it to us. This this sounds fun. Okay. I'm, I'm excited. I can see it on your face. All right. Good. good. Yeah. I'm sure we'll come up with some uh, Nick Cage segments, too. I, I think we just make a whole go of this. Let's just trust the Sinatron, Clint. Mm. Not, keep shaking your head. No. All right. Well. I know what machines are capable of. <laughs> there has never been a single machine in this house that has risen up against me. Machines are to be trusted. It's okay. They're all going to do it at once. <laughs> <laughs> the toaster and the blender. Yes. Like, haha, it's our time. Watch your fingers. <laughs> well, this has been episode 17 of Cinebabble. Uh, you can join us next week for a very special Nicolas Cage episode. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us at cinebabblecast.com and you can contact us at contact at cinebabble.com or cinebabblecast.com. Why don't you write in, tell us some of your favorite Nick Cage movies uh, or your least favorite Nick Cage movies? Or, uh, you know, you just be creative. Uh, hopefully as creative as Sinatron and share some Nicolas Cage with us and we'll see what comes of it. Yeah, let's yep. do it. Yep. All right. <laughs> I'm Ken. This is Clint. Yeah. You guys have me. a good one. Bye. Bye.